passage from Second uh, Timothy this morning, Second Timothy chapter three, and um, the focus will be on verses fourteen to seventeen. But we're going to pick up the reading at verse ten, and that's on page eight four four in the pew Bibles. If you'd like to follow along, Second Timothy three, beginning at verse ten. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training men in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Why? Okay, here's the question, why? And the answer, our answer to this will probably determine whether we see God by his Holy Spirit doing something new in our land through the traditional historical denominations. Why? Okay. Number one. Why was it that at the Queen's coronation, she was handed a Bible with these words, um, receive this, Uh, the most valuable thing this world affords. Why? Why? By the way, is is that your experience? Answer it now, honestly. Is that my experience? Is... Is the Bible, the God's Word, the most valuable thing this world affords? Second, why? Why is it that still today people are imprisoned and killed for owning a Bible and trying to distribute those Bibles out. Why is that? Because, frankly, if we're honest, I, I'm not too sure whether many of us would, would put our lives on the line. But why is that? Why is that? Thirdly, why is it that today, right now, some people will gladly walk scores of miles and sit and stand and listen for hours as God's word is both read and preached. Because frankly, for most of us, that's beyond our imagination. But why is that happening? Why? Why is it that the psalmist describes God's word as sweeter than honey and more precious than gold and diamonds? Why is that? Is that our experience? They're good questions, aren't they? Really, I would say, why? And as I said, our answer to that will probably determine 
whether God will do a mighty work in this land, as I believe actually he will do and wants to do. It will certainly determine whether we will be part of that or not. Stuart is um, looking um, at uh, truths uh, to live by. Um, interestingly, that, uh, that title hints at two things, both something we know, um, but also something we experience and something which shapes us. Something we know, something we experience, and something which shapes us. And uh, because it's uh, uh, an all age, we're kind of just stepping back slightly and going back to one of these verses, which um, if you were brought up um, in the right kind of churches, you might well have memorized this as a child. 2 Timothy 3.16. Okay? So we're going to look just at this little passage and look at maybe an answer to all those whys, as well as letting the Holy Spirit come and nudge us so that we can actually experience something new and powerful and liberating. So um, the, the, the first thing is when we look at this passage, uh, none of these passages are kind of free-floating. They've all got context. And uh, Paul is... These are the last will and testament, really, of the Apostle Paul. He's in the prison, not in a nice prison. He's not under house arrest. This is um, a, a dark dungeon, and he is um, expecting death at any time. And he's passing on the baton um, to his younger associate, Timothy. And uh, so he um, speaks about God's word, but either side, the context is interesting, um, because obviously the church then um, was facing all sorts of difficulty, um, and some of this difficulty were people um, who were teaching a false gospel. You can read that at the beginning of chapter 3, um, and then in chapter 4, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So that's the context. And uh, Paul is, is speaking uh, to his associate. He's kind of passing on the baton, not expecting to live. And he says, in the context of all of these people who are teaching the wrong things, um, he uses um, a, a lovely little kind of phrase in Greek, and he does it twice. Um, and if you've got a Bible open, um, it's in verse 10 and verse 14. In Greek, it's sude, um, but as for you. He says it in verse 10, you, however, really, but as for you, and verse 14, but as for you. In other words, he says, you are to be different. Okay? You are to be different. And um, obviously, um, times haven't changed that much. And in, in, in some ways, the Apostle Paul would say to us, but as for you, as you um, face um, within our own context a similar situation, but as for you, you are to do something different. So here he is. All scriptures God breathed you useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Then it goes on that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Great verse uh, to memorize. And as I said, um, some of us were brought up in churches when you would get your children to memorize that. So it's a good one uh, to 
to remember. Why? Here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the answer. Number one, it speaks about the Bible's power. The Bible's power. All Scripture is God-breathed. Just, uh, it says all Scripture. Now, obviously, in, in that context, um, he's referring to the Old Testament because that was the Scripture which Timothy had. Except, of course, already we see that Paul refers to the written words of Jesus as Scripture. Um, 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy, and then a phrase which comes from um, Luke, they're a word of Jesus. And and Paul links them all together, the words of Jesus and Deuteronomy, and he calls them Scripture. So already, at this time, um, there must have been written words of Jesus. And uh, scholars will say, Um, that predating the Gospels, there would have been lists of sayings of Jesus which would have been passed around even at this time. So even now, Jesus' words which had been written down were being referred to as Scripture. And then Peter, in uh, Peter 3, um, he he considers, he says, um, Paul's writing and he puts it under the umbrella of Scripture. So even in the early church, some of these very early letters, which were already being circulated, the words of Jesus were being taught in the same breath of Scripture, um, as Scripture. So Paul says all Scripture is God-breathed, and as we look back, um, we would include the whole of the Bible, both Old and New Testament. But actually, that phrase is really interesting, because we're used to that phrase, inspiring, don't we? We say, well, that was inspired. And, and that can mean all sorts of things. And um, in, in many ways, sometimes we, we say that because something was, was beautiful uh, and uh, something was um, just brilliant and something meant something to us. We say, oh, that was inspiring. I go to the Bridgewater Hall. I, I hear a piece of music. I say, that was inspiring. This is a different word. And it's a really strange word in the original language. It's a, it's a word which kind of Paul made up, and it literally means God exhaled. <sighs> God exhaled. All Scripture is God exhaled, God breathed. Now, that's a very high level um, of authority, that, isn't it? All Scripture, what we have here, is God exhaled. Now, that doesn't... Uh, mean um, that when we look at the human authors of Scripture, their own personalities and writing styles are ironed out. No, we still see that. But this incredible description that, that ultimately what we have here is something God exhaled, which, which again, when you look at Jesus' view of Scripture, um, which it, it, modern ears, uh, modern eyes find this very difficult, Jesus' scripture could really be summed up if it's written, God said it. Now, that's a really high view of scripture, isn't it? And, and it speaks about the power, the power of God's word. But you see that. This is not just um, human speculation. This is God speaking, God exhaling. And therefore, it has the power of God behind it. And, and you, you hear stories today where churches are growing, where Christians are growing, they're rooted in the scriptures, in the Bible, 
not just as some sort of religious book, because we're used to dealing with all sorts of holy texts in a, in a multicultural society, um, but actually, this is something different. This is something God exhaled, God breathed. And when you look around today, you see the power of God absolutely uniquely experienced and seen in and through the power of his word. Wow. Good that, isn't it? And when you look at churches which are growing, and as you've heard me say many times before, um, the church globally is growing like it's never done before, that those churches um, have a number of things in common, those which are growing, and the key one is that they have that high view that this is God speaking. In, in some ways, therefore, it is both a book, it, it is uh, letters uh, printed on a page with ink, and yet its power derives from its supernatural origin, a God who speaks and wants to speak to ordinary people, the Bible's power. But actually, um, that also leads to its practicality. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Um, or in the old translation, it says it's profitable. And in many ways, its usefulness, its profitability, derives from its power. A and it's quite interesting. So, so w w why is it useful? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Two little couplets um, and... Uh, both a positive and a negative. Uh, teaching, positive. Rebuking, negative. Correcting, uh, negative. Training, positive. And uh, we have an allusion to both creed and conduct to our behavior and what we believe. So, so this, this word, all scripture, is useful, is profitable in what ways? Well, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. There's a practicality to the Bible, a practicality to God's word. Um, the outline, there's a little kind of grid there. Um, it's teaching, what should I believe? Rebuking, what should I not believe? Training in righteousness, how should I behave? Correcting, how should I not behave? So we come and open the Bible, and we're asking these questions. You know, is this saying I should believe something? Is this saying I shouldn't believe something? Is this saying... I should behave in a certain way? Is it saying I shouldn't behave in a certain way? So we're asking questions. It's practical, isn't it? It's practical. And its practicality derives from its power, both what we believe and how we behave, both our creed and our conduct. Uh, Rick Warren, um, in his style, has um, put this acrostic application. And in many ways, you know, we... <laughs> Stuart and myself know this because we teach this um, when we go overseas. Um, so when I'm reading something, here are questions to ask when you're reading. Is there an attitude to adjust, a promise to claim, priority to change, lesson to learn, issue to resolve, a command to obey, activity to avoid or stop, truth to believe, idol to tear down, offense to forgive, new direction to take, sin to confess. That's clever, isn't it? Application. So we're, as we approach God's word, because of its power, it has an immediate practicality in our lives. So we're going to be asking those sorts of questions as we come and as we read it. But as well as its power and practicality, it also has a supreme purpose as well. 
Um, and, and you see that um, at the beginning and at the end of this uh, wider passage. Um, P- Paul says, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, Scripture reveals how we can actually get to know God in the first place. In fact, Scripture tells us who this God is and what he's done. Without Scripture, we don't know this. That makes sense, doesn't it? There's a, there's a, there's a, that's obvious, but maybe we need to state that and remind ourselves. So that through God's Word, through the Scriptures, um, we are able to be wise for salvation, interestingly, through faith in Christ Jesus. Don't forget, Paul's referring mostly to the Old Testament, and he says, actually, even the Old Testament speaks about this, how we can be wise for salvation um, through faith in Jesus Christ. And in many ways, um, the, 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 the Bible, both old and new, speaks about Christ. The Old Testament speaks about Christ. Jesus again and again criticized the religious leaders and said, you know the Old Testament, so why don't you get this? He kind of assumes that if they knew the Old Testament, they would know who he was. So that's important, isn't it? So in the end, I'm going to enter into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. How am I going to do that? Well, the Bible is going to be really critical to that. Because without this, I'm not going to be able to know him. I'm not going to be able to know who this God is and what he's done and how I can respond. That's, that's the big purpose, isn't it? But, but secondly, it also speaks about how that wants to change our lives. So that, verse 17, the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, through the scriptures, we can experience God's saving power. But through the scriptures, we can know what it is to be changed by God. And the Bible word for that is sanctification. That's that ongoing day-by-day process where God changes us by his spirit through his word to be more like Jesus. So that the scriptures are going to be key in that. The power and the practicality and the purpose of what we have here. So, okay, um, what does that mean to me? It's that so what uh, question which uh, Stuart um, has uh, shared before. I suppose my response is going to go along the lines of Joshua 1 verse 8, which was also another verse which uh, um, some of us as children were taught in Sunday school. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful. In other words, because of its power, because of its practicality, because of its purpose, boy, oh boy, I'm going to start to realize that this is the most valuable thing that this world affords. This is sweeter than honey. This is more valuable than gold and diamonds and bitcoins or whatever um, you you want to use. And because of that... I'm going to be a person of the word. Do you know Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? And, and it's such a great story, isn't it? And, and in many ways, it, it is. some of those images have, 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 have even gone into the national consciousness. But y- y- you know how the story begins? How do the children get into Narnia? The wardrobe. Not an Ikea wardrobe, by the way. Certainly not an Ikea wardrobe. And it's this lovely image, isn't it, of children entering in to this parallel dimension through a wardrobe. Why do I say that for this reason? Because God gives us his word, the scriptures. And as his people seek him 
in and through the scriptures, it's a little bit like going through the wardrobe into Narnia. God gives us an opportunity to enter into his presence, to enter into um, a, a new life, a new reality. How? In and through his word. Why? Because of its power, its practicality, and its purpose. Now, I've said this many times, and I would plead, plead that you experience this yourself. Because there are times when I will come around God's word, and I always do this in the morning. I sometimes do it in the evening as well, but, you know, when you're in bed, you fall asleep, don't you? So, you know, you're not going to do that for long before you fall asleep. So morning's a great time. And there have been times in the morning when I will sit and I will open God's word with expectation. Why? Because of its power, its practicality, and its purpose, knowing that God wants to, as it were, take me through the wardrobe into his presence so that I can hear him. And there have been times when it has been so close, it's as if the barrier between heaven and earth starts to fade. And there have been times when I've honestly said, Lord, at this moment, I am ready to die and meet with you. And that's what God promises to do. Why wouldn't you seek God in his word? Why wouldn't you do that? Because of its power, its practicality, its purpose, but also the desire of God to speak. Again, you know, when, when teaching children, I remember being taught this as a child. You know, when I come before scripture, maybe start with this prayer, uh, 1 Samuel 3 verse 9. You know, Eli, Eli to Samuel, um, he, Eli says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. He wants to speak. He wants, as it were, to take you through the wardrobe into the supernatural presence and, and dimension where God is, and he wants to speak to you directly. Am I the only one getting excited here? You cannot just sit there and listen to this and not get excited. You know, what does it say at the end of Luke? I could go on for a long time here. What does it say at the end of Luke's gospel? You know, when Jesus is speaking to the disciples, their heart, our hearts burned within us. Why? The power of God's word, the practicality of God's word, the purpose of God's word, which all reflect the desire that God speaks. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Or Psalm 143, verse 8, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go that you I lift up myself. Let me hear. He wants to speak. He wants to speak. He wants you as it were to take you through the wardrobe. So it's Lent, isn't it? So rather than do things which will have very little eternal benefit. Now, giving up sugar or cake might be pretty good for you health-wise. But I doubt whether it will have any eternal benefit. Okay, so that when you hopefully, hopefully stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not going to say, well done, you gave up. I was so impressed with that. Those cream cakes. And it's going to have no difference. So and I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying why not use Lent as an opportunity every day to sit down at a certain point and open God's word with this expectation. And, and you can use those sorts of questions, which I've given you, um, to, to apply them. And, but you say, Lord, I want you to speak to me because of the power, the practicality, the purpose. I just, 
Lord, would you do this? Why wouldn't you do this? There is no reason you wouldn't do this. There's none at all. And the joy and the life being sucked in um, to, to the presence of God so that you can go away saying, I have heard this morning from the God who created the cosmos. Now, you wouldn't necessarily tell everybody that because they'll look at you as they often look at me as if I'm crazy. And some of you are doing exactly the same now. But do it. And, you know, some of you use Bible reading notes. If, if you want some advice on that, see me or, or see the book lady, um, as she was called by uh, one of the uh, uh, children the other day, um, or, or Stuart, and, and we'll, we'll tell you. Or just, why not read just John's Gospel or, or the Psalms? And, and I'll, I'll finish here. This is, when you look around, that's, that's the reason you see some churches just growing and growing and growing. This is the only way I can grow as a Christian, by the way. There's no other way. There's no other way. No other way. So if you want to grow closer to Jesus, then try it. If you want to be part of a, a church which is going to grow even in hostile situations, then, then obviously we're going to be that kind of church. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to pray. Um, if, if you want, you know, some, some helpful tips, then have a chat with us afterwards. But what a great opportunity. What a great God we have that he would want to, to use um, this book in this way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you that you want to speak. We thank you that you have given us um, your written word, the most valuable thing which this world affords. And I pray that you may come and so give us a hunger and a desire for you, that we may seek you in and through your word, that we know may know the power of it, the practicality of it, the purpose, that that might be an experience to us, and that you may make us more like Jesus as a result. We ask this in his name.